0: Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Big Time Talker. I'm Burke Allen at our studios here in Washington, D.C. Thank you to our show sponsor, speakermatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you are a meeting planner or your platform speaker, check out one another at the virtual platform at speakermatch.com. Thank you guys for sponsoring the program. New episodes of the Big Time Talker Podcast drop every Tuesday. And you can get them at Apple iTunes, iHeartMedia, Spotify, wherever you download your podcast. Today, we're talking music, and not just any music, music from a young America. The word Motown is synonymous with making people dance in the 60s, the 70s, and all the way into today. And I love that music, so we wanted to bring in an expert on Motown. He's a member of the Motown, uh, Motortown All-Stars and uh, it was actually a tour guide at the Motown Museum, which may possibly be the coolest job on the planet. He's also a United States military veteran. We thank him for his service. Antonio Dandridge joins us from Detroit, the Motor City Motown. Antonio, thanks for being here. Hello, how are you? I am well. We're going to get into the the Motortown All-Stars. We're going to play new music from you. Um, But I want to rewind all the way back. Did you grow up in Detroit or, or if not, how did you wind up there?
1: Yes. Well, thanks for having me. And I did. I am born and raised in Detroit, um, born on the west side of Detroit. And my grandmother, my father's mother, they moved here from Alabama in 1968 and they set up house around the corner from Motown. So that's how, that's the beginning of my Motown experience in Detroit.
0: You yes. were right in the middle of it. You come by yeah. it honestly. Um, Tell me about your time in the military. Sure,
1: sure. I did um, from 2000 up until 2006. I served in the United States Air Force. Um, There I was a journeyman, and I uh, did HVAC, heating, air conditioning, ventilation. And it was a great job. But I went from being a journeyman to being a singer. And I sang um, in an Air Force band called the Tops and Blues. And what we did, we went around the world for an entire year and we um, serviced the military brothers and sisters from Egypt to England. And it was it was such a great experience. And um, we did Motown. We did Motown, we did country, swing, gospel, um, songs like Jump, Jive and Well, Mack the Knife, um, um, Rough and Ready. And I closed the show with God Bless the USA. It was such an experience.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for your service.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: pleasure. What was it like growing up in Detroit surrounded by that music? I mean, do you have an early Motown memory that sticks out in your mind?
1: Sure. Yes. Um, Motown is the reason that I wanted to sing. So growing up, my father, he's a minister of music at at churches. And so my father played gospel music, but my mother played Motown. And from... I can remember, I just always heard Motown. So when Motown 25 came on, that was in 1983. I was three years old. I was able to put the faces with the voices and just the feeling that it gave me, that they gave me. And then my mother saying, yeah, they're from here. And I was seeing pictures and I'm like, they're young people. I said, so if they can do it, I can do it. So that's what made me want to become a singer because I told my mom, I want to make the world feel like Motown made me feel. So that's my earliest um, memory of Motown. After the Motown 25 and 83, when the Motown Museum opened in 1987 and my grandmother told me it was around the corner, I had to go. So I would go over there. Um, Sometimes um, Barry Gordy's uh, sister, Esther Gordy Edwards, she would give tours to us sometimes. And I always thought that there was a Motown person there. So after every tour, I would always say, can I meet Diana Ross? (laughs) And she she would always say, oh, maybe next time, maybe next time. But um, after that, my aunts and things, they would take me over, but we would go over to my grandmother's house every weekend and I would always find a way to sneak over. To the museum, so from about seven until 1987, up until I left for the military in about 2000, I would go to the Motown museum on a regular
0: basis. Antonio Dandridge, our Motown expert, joining us, and we're talking Motown music from a guy who knows it very, very well. Um, that that TV special, Motown 25 in 1983, that's where Michael Jackson famously did the moonwalk for the very first time, and yes. you were just a little guy. Um, what do you remember about seeing that on TV? Cause obviously it was very impactful, even though you were a little kid.
1: Yes. Um, was this, did you want specifically the Michael Jackson performance? Do you remember that actually, even when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh yes, 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 yes. I remember that so vaguely because, um, before Motown 25, like I said, my mother was playing Motown music all the time. So it was really, really in me. My mother played a lot of a lot of Motown. Aside from Motown, it was like a lot of the girl groups, the Shangri-Las, the Ronettes, um, Darling Love type of things. Right. But when I was able to see that's who they were, that that's who that was, and then to know that they were from Detroit, it just did something different. And, and I know that people say, like, the Michael Jackson thing was good. But for me, it was seeing the Diana Ross segment. The way she came down the middle of the aisle and it was just captivating. It was it was captivating. It was like, oh, gosh, this is her. And then seeing um, Marvin Gaye and um, uh, Martha Reeves, of course, and Mary Wells and just hearing here, just hearing that excitement. It was that was a night to remember for me. I'll never forget that.
0: Some people talk about the first time they saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, but for a lot of other folks, it was Motown 25. So I, I love something you said early in the conversation about how it it essentially inspired you and of course, generations of other kids to want to get out there and sing. Did you sing in school? Was that part of your, your high school or your university? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I was a quiet kid until the end of the year, until the talent show. And I always um, wanted to give back to Motown because my audition songs were always Motown songs. If I, um, didn't do a temptation song, I did a Martha Reeves song or I did Supreme song. I did, um, um, uh, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, sometimes I would go and do an originals, Baby I'm For Real. So all through life, um, the talent shows, um, I sang around Detroit a lot. My first professional gig was um, 14, I was 14, at a place called, it's now the Aretha Franklin Amphitheater, at the okay. time it was the Shane Park. But I was 14, I did um, Bride Me Nights, One Last Cry, but I also did Martha Reeves' I'm um, Nowhere to Run. And so, and even going around the world with Tops and Blue, um, my audition songs were Motown songs. So I just always attribute them to just taking me around the world. (laughs) When you got out of high school, where did you go to college? I went to Oakland University, Oakland University. And I went because I think that was what everyone wanted me to do. I really wanted to just go to New York and sing but I was so fearful of that. So I did the, I did a year at Oakland university. I figured that wasn't for me. Um, then I worked at GMAC as a uh, general motors automotive, as a, as a repo man. Repo man. Yes.
0: That sounds like a horrible job.
1: Yeah, it was. And can you imagine a 19 year old kid being a repo man? I said, you know, this can't be life. You know, this can't be life. And I never really looked at myself as a professional singer. I just looked at it to be something that I liked to do. And it wasn't until I got a little older and um, I started hearing people and people were saying, oh, I'm so touched by your voice. I'm this. I said, hey, I said, I'm touching people like Motown. Touch me. So I kind of went along with the singing thing.
0: With with you being you know sort of younger and maybe a generation removed from those original Motown artists, did your friends when you were growing up give you the side eye and go, man, ain't nobody want to hear that old stuff? Or or <laughs> what was it like? Yeah, because you grew up in Detroit, right in the middle of, of hip hop and Eminem and all that, but yet you're jamming out with the Temps and the Tops and Smokey Robinson. So how was that as a kid? It was.
1: It was interesting. I and mean, I always had to know my history. Now, right. um back in '88 when 1988 when Barry Gordy sold Motown, I remember reading it in the newspaper. And I didn't know what selling something mean. I just knew it meant giving it away. So I would go to B Dalton bookstores all the time and I would just read up on things. And so when I found when I saw that Barry Gordy sold Motown and then Gerald Busby became the pre- that the then president of Motown, then we had Boys to Men and um uh, Another bad creation, and a lot of the R and B groups that were of present. So when I started singing the Motown songs, they said, "Why are you? What's going on with Motown?" I said, "Hey, boys to men are on Motown. Shanice is on Motown. Uh, New Jack Swing is on Motown." So that was I was always able to kind of marriage them. I said, "Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't know that. You know." So I was always able to kind of um, bring it together. Kind of, yeah, you laughed, but. It's still relevant, you know, right. so and I right. can still do it now, you know, with Erica Badu and things like that.
0: Yeah. Motown expert Antonio Dandridge joining us on the Big Time Talker podcast. You know, it, it was called the, the sound of young America, not the sound, Antonio, of young black America. Motown was for everyone. And I wonder, with your insight as a guy who, you know, worked literally worked in the Motown Museum and have really close relationships with those artists. What is it you think that, that helped Motown to bridge that racial gap, especially in the 60s when everybody was at everybody else's throat over race?
1: I think it was a mindset um, that they had. I also think it was their leader. I think you're only as good as your leader. And Mr. Barry Gordy, he had the, the vision that my songs are not just for one race. I don't have what they were calling at the time race records. I have universal music. And um, I think with the addition of um, of having a good leader, you had to have a good team. So I think with having Thomas Beans Bowles there to um, help construct some things in terms of um, um, this is how a show should go. Or you have um, William Mickey Stevenson to say, hey, you know. We're going to add some strings here or and then go and get uh, one of the best choreographers out, Charlie Atkins, to say, hey, you know, instead of dancing like that with your buttocks out, how about just bring it in and bring your shoulders up and just show them a new way. So I think that was able to. Go around. Because I, I, I do remember Mary Wilson. She told me that one time um, a Caucasian lady, she said to them back in when they were um, just making it, she said, you know, she said, I don't mind my daughter looking at you guys um, at night. She said, I don't, I don't mind. She said, I don't really let my daughter look at the other ex, but I don't mind her looking at you guys because you guys are, are different. And they were. They were, they were def- definitely different. And even with groups like um, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, who had a little bit of a more of a R&B, harder edge sound, they still had that class. They still had that polish there, where uh, Dancing in the Street just was definitely, was not just for one race. And I think it was written, Marvin Gaye r- wrote that song for, just for everyone. Let's all dance in the street, <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> now, you uh, you served your time in the military, in the Air Force. You, you get out, you come back to Detroit. What led to you getting this job as a tour guide at the Motown Museum where you had spent so much time as a young guy?
1: Yes. Well, I've always lived off a bucket list, and I've always had things that I've checked off. And one time I just drove by Motown. I said, as many times as I've gone here, I've never worked here. I said, I would love to work out. It just never crossed my mind. So I went in and I uh, filled out an application and they called me maybe that next week. And I got the audition and it was so amazing because my interview was the same day that singer Faith Evans come because she was supposed to play Florence Ballard in a biopic. So I was able to have my interview and meet one of my favorite singers, Faith Evans on the same day. So I knew it was it was meant to be. That sounds like a great job. Was it a great job? It absolutely was. It absolutely was. Um, Being able to tell such a rich history to um, people from around the world. And I mean, people came from around the world more than once. Um, and I would have a group of 32 and just to teach them how reverb, you know, Motown didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, Motown created a lot of what they did. They created the eight track for their, for their, um, company. They created, uh, a hole in the ceiling. Well, it first started off as the side bathroom and they saw that it gave echo. So that created a reverb, you know, um, you could look on the floor in the studio, a, which used to be the, um, uh, the the garage. Right. But you can look on that floor and see where they just really stumped their feet into that wood. You know, um, a lot of the 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 wood was still in its original form. would had been broken off and it was kind of worn and those type of things. So it was great. And then also um, we're dispelling a lot of rumors that people um, came to the museum thinking and um, things like that. So it, it was always it was always great. And I always loved answering answering questions that they had.
0: So So I've seen pictures of the Motel Museum I've never been in. it. It's actually a house in a residential neighborhood, right? So you talked about, you know, the the floors being worn in. This was not originally built as a studio. It was built as a residential uh, home, right? Yeah, that's correct. It actually was a photographer's studio. Um,
1: if you um, notice outside in the front, the window pane is kind of out, and that's where the photographer she would sell her pictures. That's where she would have her pictures, and um, it was a two story flat. Um, fa- I'm sorry, not two. Is that yes? Yeah, it's called a two story home, and upstairs is where she stayed, and that's where Mister Gordy and um, his wife and three kids. That's where they stayed, and then they would come come downstairs and create the magic.
0: Motown is magic. Antonio Dandridge is our Motown expert. He's also a member of the Motortown All Stars. Look for him on tour and find out more about him online. The Motortown All Stars. Um, you, you talked about, uh, you know, the the myths and legends that surround Motown. One of the stories that I've heard, and I'm going to see if you can tell me if it's true or not, is that this incredible billion-dollar industry of Motown was started. Uh, By Barry Gordy with $800. Is that true?
1: That is true. It finalized that $800, but initially he wanted more. And Esther Gordy Edwards, the lady who, the sister who started the Motown Museum, she was very good with money. At the time, she was married to um, a congressman here. So he went to her and he said, I'm not sure the exact figure, let's just say it was $1,500. She said, no, I'm not going to give you fifteen, dollars but I'll give you $800. And from that 800, he had to sign, um, the family, they had a, um, they had a, a company and the family, they had a trust. Um, the, I forget, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it has something to do with the Gordy and Barry, uh, trust that all the kids, if they wanted to borrow any money, they had to sign it. They had to pay it back. Um, all of that. Yeah. So that $800, it, it. It it did well. And I kind of see why she said 800, because prior to that, Barry Gordy owned a record store. Um, he worked very many different places that failed. So she said, well, I guess she was thinking, well, I guess 800 wouldn't be too bad to lose if, <laughs> if this doesn't work.
0: But this time it did, and it worked big yes. time. And one of the things that, that I always found fascinating about Motown is that people had different roles there. So, for example, Smokey Robinson was not only a performer, he was an executive with the company. Marvin yes. Gaye was not only a singer, he was a drummer on some of those songs. Yes. What about that cross-pollinization uh, of, of tasks and and roles in Motown?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I loved about it, um, one thing that the Motown alumni would tell me, if you didn't have a hit, Barry Gordy was not going to fire you. You had a job. You either were going to work in the mail room, you could work in the a um, and room. You could be a, uh, a a chauffeur for one of the stars. You could um, be a clap your hands. Um, you hear a lot of the originals before, um, a lot of the songs from the originals before they got big in 69 with Baby I'm For Real. You can hear them behind... Um, uh, um, uh, with Marvin Gaye, you can hear him behind um, Mary Wells and different things like that. So they had, they all had different jobs. Uh, the spinners, I think the spinners had even said two of them worked in the mailroom. You know, before it's a shame hit. You know, so Barry Gordy, he wasn't gonna send you home. He's oh, you don't have a hit. Well. I need my dry cleaning done. Hey, go go get my dry cleaning, you know. So he had a job for you. He had a job for you. And also with um, you know, Marvin Gaye coming in, you know, Marvin Gaye didn't he didn't come in as a singer. He came in as a drummer. You know, he played on um uh The Marvelettes, Please Mr. Postman and Beachwood 45789. And it wasn't until the Motown Christmas Christmas party, their annual Christmas party that he got on the piano. And they said, "Oh. Who knew?" Who didn't? Who t- who knew that Marvin Gaye could sing? And so that's when he started his journey.
0: Unbelievable! So much talent in one small place. Um, any idea why why there was so much talent there in Detroit and and or in and around Motown?
1: Sure, yes. A lot of those. A lot of their parents moved from the south. Okay, So a lot of them um, were just migrants from the South, and their sound was church. A lot of them came out of the church. So um, being at the right place at the right time, and during that era, singing and doo-wop singing, singing on the corners, singing in talent shows, that was a big thing. So if I could hear you singing here, hey, um, we might be rival groups, but... One time they got those guys break up and we're going to we're going to form a group, you know, the Temptations um, with uh, uh, Otis and um, Eddie Kendricks and one of the other guys. They were one group. And then you had Paul Williams and um, uh, Melvin Franklin. They were another group. And then they came together. And um, as the Temptations, you know, so it was just everyone was singing. They were all from the South and everybody just wanted to have a good time and make it. And after Mr. Marv Johnson, after he became known, and then Mary Wells, some of her her songs became known, it was like, oh, Motown is the place to be. So by 65, they had to start those auditions every second Tuesday and Thursday of every month because those audition lines would be so far down the street, wrapped around the corner.
0: Incredible.
1: How popular popular it got.
0: Incredible. Motown uh, is our topic the Motortown All Stars is a group where you can see Antonio Dandridge sing and dance and wow the audiences out on tour. Um, folks think of Motown primarily as having uh black artists, that was not exclusively true, though, and that may surprise some of our listeners.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You think of artists uh, like Debbie Dean or uh the Shades of Blue, um. I love Rare Earth, which was a Motown. Oh, oh, Rare Earth! Uh, um, so many. Um, uh, Debbie Reynolds was that her name? I can't think of her, her. Her face is in my in my head, but I can't think of her name. Um, but yeah, and that Rare Earth
0: people, right? The, that Tina Marie. Yeah, Tina
1: Marie, yeah, Lover Girl, sure. But not only artists. Motown has. All types of staff, white, black, Asian. Um, Barry Gordy was a person, if you could do the job, you have the job. Um, one of Motown's first um, promotional guys was a guy by the name of Bar- Barney Ailes. And during the time when um, New York and different cities, they didn't want to pay Motown for their distribution. and didn't want to pay them for their royalties. He brought in Barney and... Um, you know, he would say, they would say, Hey, what are you doing over there with a the black company? And he said, Well, hey, you know, I work for these guys. I work with them. I'm I'm head over here. And so there's a oh, are you the head? He wasn't really the head, but huh. he knew how to get he knew how to get work done. You right. know, so um Mr. Gordy was not, he was never on just the race thing. It's just that just was not it, could you do? the job. And that's one thing I loved about Motown and bringing in the Motown the people from Motown museum just from all over. I mean people who couldn't even who could not speak English, but they knew those words. They knew My Girl. They knew Stop in the Name of Love. They knew I heard it through the Grapevine, you know.
0: How could you yeah. not know those songs? You just rattled off three of the biggest songs in pop music history yeah. and they all started in that little uh two-story house there in Detroit. Uh the Motown museum know a must stop if you make it to Detroit and uh, it's still today, folks like Antonio can take you through there. I wonder if, you know, we all love that music. If any, uh, you said you, you met Faith Evans, if any other big star, stars or celebrities came through for a tour while you were a tour guide.
1: Oh, absolutely. I've given tours to Mitch album, uh, rapper Flo Rida, uh, Michelle and Deggie Ocello. Wow. Um I'm the current president of Epic Records now. His name is Ezekiel Lewis. And I also gave a tour to just the one of the great greatest walking the planet now, Sir Paul McCartney. When what? He came in, absolutely. Absolutely. When he came in and to um, refurbish and redo that Steinway that was in the studio, I gave him the tour for that. Yes. You must have been scared to death. Well, it was on a Sunday and the museum was closed, and he was there for a a concert, and so they called me in and they said, "Hey, we want you to do a tour for Sir Paul McCartney." I'm like, "What?" (laughs) I threw my clothes on so quick and head down there, and it was—I don't—it wasn't—you know—it wasn't wasn't nerve-wracking because I felt proud to give that tour I felt proud I knew he had known the history but I kind of just I just felt proud to represent Motown in that way and bring back memories that he had he saw on the wall where there was a picture of him I'm sorry of uh, yeah it was a picture of the Beatles with Barry Gordy with Barry Gordy's daughter Hazel Joy on um, there and he does he said he didn't even remember you know right. remember that picture so it was it was great he was there with his staff and his girlfriend and it was um, it was amazing. Now when he went down to the to the snake pit, that's what we call that's what they call Studio Eight, Snake Pit. When he went down there, he started tickling with the piano and he said he started singing some songs, sang um "Money, that's what I want." uh tracks of my tears. I remember that, and <laughs> I just remember he he kept touching it, He kept touching it, marveling, we took pictures with it, and then a few days later, that's when the news came. said he wants to refurbish the piano. I'm like, I know he was he just he just marveled at it too much not to do something to it. so it it was an amazing day, definitely a day I won't forget.
0: Antonio, you are the godson of Motown legend Martha Reeves. Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, our friends from Voices of Classic Soul, performed with Martha uh, in Chicago at the Des Plaines Theater. Tell me about uh, Martha Reeves, who famously answered the phones at Motown before the hits came. Yes, yes,
1: yes. Her name was Martha. Her- at the time, her name was Martha Lavelle. That's what she went as, Martha Lavelle. And again, she was one of those. She started in a group, and the group um, was called the Delphi. Well, they were called the Fascinations. And she was in a sister group. And then there were the Delphi's, and the Fascinations broke up. And so she joined the Delphi's. And it was Martha and the Vandellas and one other girl, Gloria. And so when they broke up uh, again, like I said prior, all those kids, they were singing around. And Martha won a talent contest and she heard the prize for the contest was to sing at the 20 Grand during their um, amateur night. And 20 Grand was one of the black premier clubs at the time. And okay. when she sang, she was discovered by William Mickey Stevenson. And he told her. I think you have talent. Come down to Motown. Well, she didn't know that Motown was holding their auditions on those Tuesdays and Thursdays. So she went down the next day. She said she quit her job at the cleaners and she went down there and he said, what are you doing here? She said, well, you told me to come down. He said, well, no, not now. And she said the phone started ringing and he told her, answer that phone. So she answered the phone and she said she had some clerical skills that she learned in school and said by the time he came back, she said she had a stack of notes written and say, hey, you need to call this person back. Hey, you have to pay this person for a session. And he said, you know, how would you like to be my AR secretary? And she said, that's how it was born. Now, now, again, she was Martha Lavelle. During that time, the Motown, Motown, they had background singers called the Andantes and they were premieres Motown background singers who sang with everybody. Well, at the time they were on the road with Kim Weston and um, Mickey Stevenson had just wrote a song called Stubborn Kind of Fellow for Marvin Gaye, but he needed some background. And Martha said, I wasn't gonna let him down. So I called my two girlfriends, Rosalind and Annette, and I told them to come down, and we went down and recorded um, Stubborn Kind of Fellow, Hitchhike, and Pride and Joy. And that's wow. how they got that start at, at Motown.
0: Martha is in her 80s now, is still going strong, and, and truly is a Motown legend. I want to ask you about some of the other legends from, from the label and and get your thoughts, maybe any personal uh, stories or, or, or just your memories and knowledge about these artists. Are you ready? We're going to go sure. rapid fire here. Stevie um, Stevie Wonder. Uh,
1: A genius, just a genius. Um, I get a lot of stories from Martha and Martha tells me about when he came into the studio and of course she was part of the staff at the time and how all of the staff just came to Studio A and said they, um, Clarence, Clarence Paul, he was the guy who, um, it was Clarence Paul and it was Ron White. Ronald White of the Miracles, they went to a church service one Sunday and they saw Stevie playing the organ. And so they brought him to Motown. And And he was a kid then, right? Yes, he was a kid, 12 years old, 12 years old. And uh, Martha said that they were all sat there and he got on the piano. Then he went and got on the drums. Then he went and went and got on the bongos. Then he went and got on the xylophone. Then he went in his pocket and pulled out a harmonica. And they're sitting around like this. This boy is a genius. And Barry Gordy said, he's a wonder. So he went from Steve Lynn Morris to Stevie Wonder.
0: And that's where the name came from. Yes. Um, one of my favorite groups from the 70s, the Commodores.
1: Oh, absolutely. Now, Commodores, you know, they got their start with the Jacksons, being discovered by the Jacksons. And um uh, they opened for the Jacksons at one time and they came in and that's another story where the drummer, where uh, uh instrumentalist becomes the singer because Lionel Richie at the time was not the lead singer of the group. He was a drummer and he played the guitar. And it wasn't until his his um his lyrical skills um kind of came into the forefront and they said, geez, you can sing, you know. So uh, the Commodores, they were they were awesome. I absolutely love them.
0: The backing group for so many of those big Motown hits, there's a terrific documentary about them, the Funk Brothers. And and they were sort of unsung heroes, absolutely were unsung heroes until that great documentary came out. Let's give the Funk Brothers some love. For people who don't know what we're talking about, tell us about the Funk Brothers.
1: Yes, absolutely. The Funk Brothers were musicians, from Detroit, They were jazz musicians and they would go around to different clubs. Detroit had a lot of jazz clubs in the fifties and sixties. And they were going around to the jazz clubs and they would just play. And again, uh, A&R's um, head guy at Motown, Mr. William Mickey Stevenson, he recruited those guys and he brought them together. And he went, what he did with R&B music, he just, inc- they just incorporated the jazz sounds with Motown and you have people like James Jamerson, um, um Bob Bob Babbitt, um Uriel Jones, um and so, these guys
0: play on on dozens of tracks, hundreds of tracks.
1: Oh hundreds, hundreds. They were not able to leave the studio because they were always on on call, always on call. We had they had a uh, funeral home next door that's still standing. Sometimes the Funk Brothers, when they were just tired of 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 rehearsing, they would go hide out in the funeral home next door. And then sometimes, you know, they were able to get away from the Snake Pit, and, um, and they went and did uh, Cool Jerk. That's that's them playing behind, playing behind on, on Cool Jerk. And you also can hear them on Jackie Wilson's Higher and Higher.
0: Wow. The Funk Brothers, if you haven't seen that documentary, definitely check it out. Oh, uh, yes. We talked a little bit about Martha Reeves, so many hits there, and Martha Reeves, um, you know, had a, a rougher, uh, harder edge than, than say, for example, Diana Ross and the Supremes. What is it that makes your godmother Martha Reeves special?
1: Oh, let's see. What makes her special is her heart. Her heart. Um, and her drive. And her delivery and her approach to a song, her, her music is one of my biggest inspirations. And Martha, Martha had it hard. You know, um, when the Supremes came along, they came along, their success came very quickly. And Motown was still a independent label. So they were not able to um, spend all the money on on. Uh, three two three four artists at the time they have to focus on that one artist so a lot of times martha Reeves and the vandellas they have to you know take the second second or third fiddle of the show but martha's drive you know you cannot take away from the heat waves and the nowhere to runs and the jimmy max and the dancing in the streets you know where um someone could have easily said you know that's not fair But she said, you know what? I'm going to take these lemons and I'm going to make them lemonade. And she's still that way to this day. A lot of times when I was at the museum, she would bring people from Switzerland, from Sweden, from Poland. She would say, hey, when you are in town, call me and I'll take you to the museum. And her and I, we would trade off with the museum with the information she would um she'd give me a little bit of the information and i'll throw it back to her and then she'd throw it back to me or she'll say hey who was this on the picture and i have to give the whole thing give a whole spill of it then we go underneath the echo chamber and we both sing together then we had everybody else sing so she is i would call her an ambassador of motown i would definitely call her an ambassador of motown
0: antonio dandridge is our guest we're talking motown these are the Motortown All-Stars, and uh, let's talk about those great vocal groups, The Temptations, The Four Tops, The Miracles. What are your yes.
1: thoughts? Uh, the premiere of the premiere. Um, the Temptations, I think, were the group to, to pattern yourself after um, in the 60s um, because of their look. And they're also their sound. They had such a pure top voice with Eddie Kendricks. And then they had such a bottom with a natural bottom with Mr. Melvin Franklin and all those great voices in between like the Paul Williams, the David, David Ruffin, and then Dennis Edwards. And uh, then you had the Damon Harris's. They were just the premier group with the, with the, their choreography. I can remember one thing I loved about working at the museum is a lot of the people that went there, they were around during that time. So I would flood, I would pick their brains with um, where were you when this happened? And if they were um, from a place that, if they were from a theater, oh, I, I, I saw them at the Uptown Theater or I saw them at the Fox Theater in Brooklyn. And so I remember one person saying that when a, the guy came and he sat the mic down and it had the five mics spread out, they didn't know what what that was. And they said when the temptations emerged and they just sat just stood around that microphone, they said it was, it was magic. Now I have to give it to the four tops, however, because before the... The Temptations came along, the Four Tops, they were known, known as the Four Ames. Right. They were a really um, very good vocal group. Though though they sang standards, their harmony was just, it, w- it was impeccable. So the Four Ames, they were pretty much, they were pretty known around Detroit. Um, of course, when they came to Motown and got under Holland Dozier Holland's magic, they became the Four Tops, but... You know, Motown had the premier group, the Temptations and the Four Tops. Now, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Those guys were uh forced to be reckoned with because you had Smokey Robinson who had his beautiful falsetto and his songwriting skills. But then you also had the songwriting skills of Mr. Ronald White, who he would go to sometimes for different ideas and different songs. And they would come up with songs like Beachwood 45789 or songs for their own, for their own um, um own group. And then you sure. had um uh, a guy um um Oh, his name slips. It slips my mind. Rogers. Um, last name was Rogers, but he had the glasses and he was like,
2: <laughs> Yeah, he's that guy
1: for love machine, and if you just saw his live performance he had the energy and just uh, and just everything and then you had the guitarist Marvin Taplin who Smokey Robinson stole from um the Supremes who were then the Marvel who were who were then the primates and they they were he was um their guitarist and when they went to audition for Smokey Robinson to audition um for Motown he said um I'm gonna see if I can get you guys an audition but I like your guitarist, Marv, would you like to play with us? And he played with the miracles until he, um, until he retired. And he also was a songwriter as well.
0: And had that so, classic lick at the beginning of tracks of my tears that you
1: absolutely you get out of your head. And
0: you know, we could, we could go down the list. There's so many Diana Ross Supremes we barely even touched on. And, uh, uh you know, Rick James, the, the classic oh. Rick James. And uh, there was so much incredible music over so many years that touched so many lives and now you get a chance to pay tribute to that with the Motortown All-Stars. What's it like to bring that music to life once again?
1: It's a dream come true. It really is. It's a dream come true. And I thank the Motown guys and just the Motown Empire for creating music that can stretch so long that I can pay my bills. (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't find music like that that's still relevant and and we don't just have... Um, the older generation that's attending the shows; those shows are attended from everyone, and that's the thing about Motown. It touched every every genre. I remember one time we had a show, and a little girl said, "Are you guys gonna do Michael Jackson?" And it was right before we did our Jackson Five medley. So it, it it's it's amazing to know that I'm able to carry on a legacy. Because that is what it is. It's a legacy. And uh, it's it's a it's a pressure because you want to you want to stay true to the sound. You want to stay true to the artistry. You want to stay true to the music, you know, so you just it's just a dream. It's a dream come true for me. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it in for the world.
0: That music is timeless, and you know all about it. He's our resident Motown expert, Antonio Dandridge, and you can check him out in the Motortown All-Stars. If you look him up online, he has his own Motown podcast radio show up there in the Motor City Detroit. Hey, I want to take everybody out with your song, and uh, why don't you set this up and introduce it for us?
1: Absolutely. This is my debut single that came out this April. It's called When You Smile. Currently, it's uh, number 15 in London on London's UK R&B chart. Um, You can listen to this available on all streaming platforms. And it's a mid-tempo song, and it is a song to make you feel good. It was uh, kind of my Motown update, updated 2023, where you can just feel good about life feel good about music and just don't forget to smile that is the that's the main goal of the song smile Um, among everything that's going on don't forget to smile and that's one thing that motown did for me
0: my man motown antonio dandridge check him out here's his new single and thank you for listening to the big time talker podcast i'm burke allen go out and make it a great day bye everybody
2: Yeah, 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 yeah Oh ooh, ooh, ooh. As I awake On this sunfilled day I look around, girl And I must say To see a smile Upon your lovely face Gives me a feeling i can't replace my heart is happy and it feels so good just to see you smile baby if you would we miss out on the simple things in life your pleasant smile is Up. a song of love and a simple smile good for your soul makes life worthwhile a word of wisdom if you can hear a simple smile goes a long way my